Do any of you have a nickname? Nickname. That's what we're going to start with this morning. Do you know what my nickname was when I first started Little League? Snow White. I was 11 years old, and I was kind of small still, and they were, they were doing it in fun, uh, but my nickname turned into Snow White. You know, my last name's White, so they thought it was funny. That's what 11-year-olds do in the summertime playing baseball. Snow White was my first nickname. Um, I haven't had many other nicknames in my life, but fortunately, I got to be pretty good at Little League. I don't like to boast, and I, don't, I still don't think I am boasting, but I just, I, I was pretty good at Little League. I got pretty good. I, I couldn't hit very well, but what I could do, I played second base, and if they hit me the ball, I could almost every time catch it and get it to first base in time. And so over time, it took about two years, um, but I remember I made the, the Little League All-Star team as a 12-year-old and got to play like an extra tournament with a special jersey and my name on the back. And uh, by that time, the name Snow White had kind of been forgotten, and I got a new nickname. You know what it was? Golden Glove. That was a better nickname, wasn't it? For a 12-year-old, that was a good nickname. But it took a little bit of time to go from Snow White to Golden Glove. And again, I still don't really have many other uh, nicknames. I think uh, we do have a yellow oven mitt that when I take out something from the oven, maybe my wife can start calling me Golden Glove again. But it doesn't, hasn't worked so far. Maybe one day. But this morning, we're going to be looking at uh, what really has become the nickname for the church. Right? Brian just read it. Christians. At the Church of Antioch, this is the first time that they were called Christians. That's what it says in Acts 11, verse 26. And so this morning, we're going to be unpacking what it means to be a Christian. And you may be saying, Stephen, we're in church. I am a Christian. I've been a Christian maybe for decades. Why? That's almost offensive that you're going to be spending a whole sermon talking about what it means to be a Christian. But I think it's really important for us to do so. Uh, it's really helpful to explain the origin of things that describe us. And this morning, uh, what we're going to be looking at is that, that term, Christian. So I really encourage you to have a Bible open and to be following along with me this morning. Um, because I'm going to be going verse by verse briskly, but I want you to see where I'm getting things from. So in your pews, you'll see there's a black Bible that's the same version that I'm using. Um, so you can follow along in that one, or if you have a smartphone, you can follow along. But we're going to be going, uh, beginning with verse 19 of chapter 11. So 11, 19. And we're going to be going uh, really verse by verse through the end of chapter 11. And then I'm going to summarize some of chapter 12. Um, but today, what we're going to be looking at is really two big points. First big point is what a Christian is. And the second part is what a Christian is not. And in this passage, I'm going to scare you by saying this. The first point, what a Christian is, I've identified at least 13 things that a Christian is in that first part. So it's not a 13-point sermon. It's more of a two-point sermon with 13 sub-points, but I'm going to go fast, I promise. It's not going to be twice as long, don't you worry. And here's, take heart. The second part, what a Christian is not, there's only one point there. So 13 things about what a Christian is, one point what a Christian is not, and a whole lot of um, good stuff in the middle of it. But it's important to note, as we, before we even get into that first part, that Christian really was 
I mean, as you see here in verse 19, or verse 26 of, of chapter 11, that, that was a newer word, a phrase that had come up. I mean, we're halfway through the book of Acts now, and this is the first time the phrase Christian was used, or the term Christian was used. So think about all the different ways that followers of Jesus have been known as before this moment. So back in January, we started a sermon series in Mark, and we finished that up in April, and now we've been in Acts. So we've seen all of them so far. And I'm going to go, go through just a couple of a, a sequential lists of how it's progressed up until this point. So how were Jesus' first followers known? The first thing they were known as in Mark 1, verse 16, fishermen. The first followers of Jesus were fishermen. It says they were out fishing, and Jesus called them. And you remember the, the very next verse, what the, what the next progression was? You're no longer fishermen, you are Fishers of men. That's what the followers then were known as. Fishers of men. And then the next chapter in Mark 2, it says they were called disciples. Which, to be a disciple in, in Israel, in ancient Israel times, meant that you were following a rabbi. And so you'll see these disciples calling Jesus rabbi or teacher. And so the earliest followers of Jesus were students under the teacher, otherwise known as disciples. And then later on, uh, you see, especially in John 15, it's Jesus turns to his disciples and he says something very poignant to them. John 15, verses 13 to 15, he says, No longer do I call you servants, but now I call you friends. They became friends of Jesus, friends of God. So note this discipleship process. Fishermen, fishers of men, disciples, friends. And then Jesus dies on the cross. He's resurrected. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, do you remember what Jesus then commands his disciples to be or his friends to be? He says, go, you will be my witnesses. That's the next thing they're known as, a witness. Someone who has seen something happen, the resurrection of Jesus, and now they go and tell the whole world about it. They're witnesses. And then even just last week and the week before, you saw another progression of what the disciples were known as later. They went even from witnesses to then people started calling them followers of the way. Capital W, the way. These folks were ones who followed Jesus on the way of life. Remember Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And people began to call them followers of the way. And then finally, uh, what we've seen even just in chapter 9 a couple of times is uh, Christians or followers of Jesus were called saints. Saints or holy ones or ones who are devoted to God. And that leads us all the way up to here. So that's, those are all the different ways that followers of Jesus were known as. Do you see, do you see how uh, Jesus had a progression for his followers? So they, they, didn't stay what they, what they, they didn't stay in one category. They progressed. Um, but also onlookers were looking at this group of people that were growing in number. Again, they were probably in the thousands now. And they got different titles or different descriptions. And finally, it culminates with Christian. And so this has become the ubiquitous, universal way for followers of Jesus to be known as around the world ever since. This is the one that has really stuck. I and mean, we still use the other ones, disciples, followers of the way, saints, but Christian is really the, the primary one. When you say you're a Christian, you know what that means, or at least we think we do. 
Uh, And so today, let's get into what the term Christian means. So point number one, what a Christian is. Let's look into these 13 things. Again, we'll do them quickly, but if you want to take notes, I'll give you a chance to write them down. Uh, If not, all these all these sermons are posted online later. You can go back and it's like if you missed one of the points, you can find it later online if you wish. But here's what a Christian is, according to this passage, according to the onlookers who were watching this group happening, watching this group progress. So verse 19, the first thing that Christians were, uh, that, that characterized Christians was it says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one but Jews. The first thing that defines a Christian in this passage is they are people who are moved by God. People who are moved by God, quite literally, actually. Remember, Stephen was the first martyr, and it says because of that, a great fear took over the church. And it says they scattered. It's kind of like when you throw water on an anthill, and they all scatter and go different directions. That's what happened to the church. And if you look at it, it can be a negative thing. They had to leave their homeland. Um, Something about refugees today, it's the same kind of deal. When there's persecution, people scatter their homeland. But it's also a pretty gracious way for God to, to send out his disciples into the world and to send them out into places where Jesus was not yet known. And so this idea of forced migration was a reality for the early church. They were scattered because of this persecution. But this phrase, being moved by God, I think also has another meaning to it, which means that people were open to being changed. They were open to being moved by God. And so that's still part of the first point. Um, But you think about missionaries or church planters or tent makers. We're going to learn in a couple of weeks with the Apostle Paul when he is sent out that he is willing to be intentionally moved by God as a lifestyle of going. And again, we keep talking about the different commands to go in the Bible. Um, Christians are people that go. Christians are people that move. They don't stay still. Either they're forced to go or they intentionally get up and go. And so that's what a Christian is. Number two, look at verses 19 and 20. You'll see here a lot of big words that maybe are hard to pronounce, and it's because they're different places in the Mediterranean Empire where Christians were. And so it says they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus. Phoenicia is present-day Lebanon. Cyprus is 100 miles off the coast. Um, And then you get in even here to the bottom, it says there were men of Cyprus and Cyrene who were coming to Antioch, who spoke to Hellenists, who were Greek speakers. Here's the point. The second big point is Christians are diverse. Diverse. Remember last week we said, when remember the big sheet came down, Cornelius saw this this vision uh, to go get Peter, and then Peter saw this vision of a big sheet coming down, and it says, don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. That's what God said. And he's opening the church up to the Gentiles. And so the church began to expand into the nations for the first time in a real comprehensive way. But the church of Jesus Christ is diverse. It's meant to be diverse. Diverse that's representing your community, representing the world, representing all image bearers of God. And that's what you see here in verses 19 and 20 is Uh, They progress into the city of Antioch, which is one of the major cities in the Roman Empire at that time. Half a million people, they say. Uh, Only Rome and Alexandria were bigger. And it was a a major diverse city. It's kind of like New York City, where there's people that speak all different types of languages, 
all different ethnicities, all different backgrounds. It became a crossroads of culture and trade in that area. And that's where the first Gentile or church of the nations began to emerge. A church gathered there that had people from all different nations and tribes and languages. And they were united by their common understanding of Jesus. And so uh, it's a beautiful thing. Again, to Greek speakers, to Jews, the diversity here is pretty, pretty staggering. You have language diversity, ethnicity, cities and villages, natives and transplants. The point here is that the church is diverse. Christians are diverse. There's not one nation or language or people group that owns Christianity. Christianity is for the whole world because God is the creator of the whole world. And that's how he has designed his people. Every, every person is an image bearer of God. It's waiting to be redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Point number three, again, I'm going fast, I know. Point number three, verse 21, it says here, and the hand of the Lord was with them. What a beautiful image. The hand of the Lord was with them. You know what that means? That means that Christians are people who have God's presence with them always. God's hand was with them and he was leading his people. God is Emmanuel, God with us. By his Holy Spirit, he is with us. The same hand that was with the early church in Antioch is with the modern day church in Salem today. And so Christians always have the presence of the Lord. Point number four, uh, just continuing on in verse 21 here, it says here, uh, and this this ties into the children's story actually pretty well. It says, a great number of them who believed turned to the Lord. Remember the root beer float, ice cream and root beer? To be a Christian means to believe and to repent. And it says here, I just think the way it's phrased is really interesting. A great number who believed... So the assumption was here that they they had belief, they trusted in the Lord, but they didn't just leave it with belief, they turned to the Lord. They took their belief and they also repented. They turned themselves over in allegiance to Jesus. He became their number one allegiance. And so number four is that uh, Christians are people who don't just believe, but they turn to the Lord. They believe and they repent. That's always what a Christian is. That's what Jesus said and when he first started his ministry, Mark 1, 14 and 15, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. That's what a Christian is. Someone who believes in Jesus, who stakes their life on him, but then also then looks at their sin, looks at their own allegiances, those things that are, that are making them turn away, making you turn away, making me turn away, And they give them back over to God and say, God, I repent. I repent of my sins. Number five, verse 23. It says, so verse 22, it says, The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. In verse 23, it says, When he came, he saw the grace of God. So number five is, Christians are people who are filled with the grace of God. And what a perceptive thing here that Barnabas was able to pick up on. Barnabas saw a lot, probably when he walked into that room. He saw new converts. He saw diversity. But do you know what he saw above all of that? Grace. He saw the grace of God. He probably saw people who, again, like we said weeks ago in other sermons, he probably saw people who the rest of the world had given up on. 
But God had not given up on them. And now they had been transformed and changed. And he saw the grace of God at work. So the church or Christians are people that are filled with grace. And it was filled him with joy. When you see grace, it fills you with joy. Number six, uh, going on and continuing in verse 23, uh, it says here that they were people who, uh, he, he exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So Christians are people who remain in their faith and have a, a solemn purpose, who stand, who stand steadfast and are not moved when things happen. He knew, Barnabas knew persecution was coming to this church. He knew that troubles would come. And he says, what a Christian really is, is someone who is, has resolve, who when things happen, they remain steadfast in purpose and keep their faith. Number seven, look at verse 26, jumping down a couple of verses here. So it says they went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember him? He had been transformed. He's now a believer. It says, and when they found him, he brought them to Antioch. And for one whole year, he met with the church and taught them a great and taught a great many people. For one whole year, he taught them specifically. So what are Christians? Christians are people who are teachable, people who are taught, people who come and sit under the word of God, people who are challenged by the word of God, people who have mentors or teachers above them who are pouring scripture into them, that are giving giving life through the scriptures, not just good life advice, but but the word of God. They were taught by Paul. Think about what Paul could teach a group of Christians in a place like Antioch. What a gift that would have been for the church. And so that's why when we use the phrase discipleship, often it's used in this instruction kind of way. Sunday school, small groups, sermons are a part of discipleship. But any way that you're taught the word of God. And then verse, the end of verse 26, it says, and there in Antioch they were first called Christians. So those things all lead up to being a Christian and here's, I just want to pause here after, after point seven. I've given you seven things already. Just a pause, deep breath. In Antioch, they were called Christians. And most scholars, most people that I've read, most people that I've heard teach on this, say that actually the term Christian was probably a mockery, probably a mocking term at this time. It was probably people from outside the church that were looking in and saying, Look at those people. They're, they're like little Christs. It was almost a mocking term. They didn't know what to call them, so they just said they're like little Jesuses running around together. They're like little Christs. It was a mocking term. And isn't that just kind of typical of, of the church, of people from the outside looking in and not really knowing what to make of us, not really knowing what to make of Christians? And, but, but think about the grace here. The people on the outside looking in and kind of mocking the church, they still saw Jesus. What, what, what defined all these people together was a commonality of Jesus. They loved the person of Jesus Christ to the point where they were even called Christians or little Christs or little, little Messiah people. That's kind of what the phrase really means in ancient times. And so think about if, if our world or if your friends or people that, that would walk by this church would just peer in the door here and say, look at all those Jesus people. It's kind of a mockery, but it's also a beautiful, a beautiful thing. 
And that's why it's stuck for 2,000 years. I think the church kind of realized, like, there's no better way to define us than by the person whom we're worshiping, than by the one who died on the cross and rose again. That's a, that's a pretty great definition for us. We're going to be Christians. We're going to be followers of him. And that's what we want to be known as. Now let's get back to our next couple of points. Number eight. So in verses 27 to 30, it says that there was a great famine that took place um, in the region at this point. So this prophet came and says, there's going to be a great famine in the land. And so what Christians do is they respond to a great need. It says the disciples in verse 29 determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And so they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Christians are generous people. So like I said, we have our communion offering that we take up on the first Sunday of every month for response to our needs in our community. It's out of the spirit of a text like this where the church responds to needs in our communities. But the important thing here, too, to note is that it's not just money. They are sending money. They gathered whatever they could, and they sent it. But they sent people with it. They sent it by way of the elders. They sent uh, Saul and Barnabas with it, and they took it all the way to Jerusalem. So Christians are people who are responsive and generous to great needs. Number nine, so now we're getting into chapter 12. Uh, Now we're kind of looking at it through the Jerusalem church. We've moved from Antioch to Jerusalem. Uh, Let's look here at the next one. So number nine here is that Christians are people who are acquainted with intense persecution. Again, this is becoming a theme more and more in the book of Acts. You see a lot of persecution from here on out. But what happens here is Herod, the king, uh, kills James, who's the brother of John. He's one of the original disciples. And they take Peter and throw him in prison. And so Christians are people who are acquainted with persecution. And so the next couple of points are what happens in response to that persecution. What what do we do when we see our brothers and sisters persecuted or challenged uh, today? This is part of why we pray for the world, but I'll get to that point in a second. Number 10, uh, so look at verse 5. It says, when Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him uh, to God by the church. And then verse 12, it says the same, same idea. It says, when they realized this, um, he went to the house of Mary. This is after Peter gets released. And many were gathered together and they were praying. Christians are praying people. They are ones who, when they see a need, they respond to it with intense prayer. So we pray all the time, but especially in intense persecution. That's number nine. I'm sorry, that's number 10. Intense prayer. Verse 11 I'm sorry, number 11, so verses 6 to 11 here. So the 11th thing that defines a Christian is they're people who are released. Peter here gets miraculously released. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole passage here, but Peter is released by an angel of the Lord who comes and unlocks the gates for him and lets him go. And he begins running to try to find the believers. So number 11, they're literally released. You and I are literally released from sin, from death, from persecution. We have literally been freed, as well as spiritually being freed from things. But this is something that defines the church. Number 12, where did Peter go after he was released? He went looking for the church. Christians are people committed to the community. So he goes and he knocks on the door 
of Mary and this family. And I love this story here. And we could, we could do a whole sermon just on this story because I think it's, it's a neat story. But it says the servant girl, Rhoda, heard his voice. Again, if you've never heard of Rhoda in the Bible, just let's, let's commend her for a second here. Rhoda hears Peter's voice. He hears Peter's voice. She hears Peter's voice and says, it's Peter. Let's let him in. And no one believed her. No one believed the servant girl. But she knew. She knew it was Peter. She was trusting in the Lord. She knew it was him. And so eventually they do get to open the door and they find Peter there. The last point, verse of uh, number 13. This is our, the end of our long journey of what a Christian is. Number 13 is, uh, look at verses 18 and 19. So when, when Peter gets let out of prison, again, the guards discover this, and Herod discovers this, and they're not happy. And it says here, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. So what's the last thing that Christians are, that are, they're defined by? They, Christians stir the pot in culture. When God moves, we've been saying this, this phrase, God is on the move in the book of Acts. God is on the move in our world today. When God moves, the pot of culture is stirred. And people uh, try to figure out what's going on. And they, they can get upset because they don't really understand how God moves. But Christians are in part existing in the world to stir the pot so that people see who God is and his ways, because the world needs a stirring. So those are the 13 points uh, of what a Christian is. And what I don't want you to miss here, again, is the importance of just the person of Jesus. Take, a, take some time this week or this afternoon to look at those 13 points and then compare them to the life of Jesus himself. How did Jesus actually exemplify each of those 13 points? And if you allow yourself to do a deep examination of the scriptures and to find Jesus in those 13 uh, characteristics, you'll find that Christians actually are just imitating the way of Christ, imitating the way of Jesus. And they're, they're emulating him. They're following him. So a Christian is in Christ. A Christian is one who is defined by the person of Jesus. Now you may be asking, what's the one thing that a Christian is not? And that's where this last little portion comes up. Verses 20 to 25. Let me just read it, and then I'll tell you the one point. Verse 20. Now Herod, the king, was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. Remember, because of the famine that was happening. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. A Christian is not God. A Christian is not the Christ. A Christian is a little Christ. And what we see here from Herod is Herod made himself the big Christ, didn't he? He gave this oration. He gave this speech. It kind of, people say that he was wearing this big robe that was probably made of silver. 
so that it, when the sun shone on it, it looked like he was like a bright, blinding light. He was clearly trying to give glory to himself. And when the people gave him glory, he received it. He said, yes, this is the voice of God. I am God. That's basically what he was saying. And God despises that because that's not what a human is. A human is not God. A human is nothing without Jesus. And even with Jesus, we're still not God, right? The title of today's sermon is Little Christ's. The church is a combination of people who are little Christs, who when we scatter from here and go to our workplaces and our families, we are little, little Christs, little lights, little people who show the redemption of God through us. But we are not Jesus. We are not the voice of God. Herod here made the the terrible mistake of making himself God. And we do that in our own ways. Our world does that. We pretend that we got, we're God. There's a, there's a book that's in the parlor today that I'd recommend to you. It's called Playing God, the, the, the Problem of Power in Our World Today. We love power. We're power-thirsty people. That's our sinful nature. But when we come to Jesus and we become a Christian, we give up the false identity of power and we become instead a little Christ a little image bearer, a little Messiah who is bringing the grace of God wherever we go. Not that we're the one doing the saving work, but we're the messengers of the good news and we bring it into our world. Ultimately, our identity is found in Christ alone. And the last thing that I want to leave you with is when God looks at you and he's going to give you a title If you are in Christ, and if you're a believer in him, and you repent and turn to him, you are what the scriptures say dozens of times, you are beloved. You are God's beloved son, God's beloved daughter. You are loved by God by the grace of Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 10 and 11 says, Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And those who are not beloved, I will call beloved. So church, what it means to be a Christian is to be a little Christ who is beloved by God, who is held in his hand to do amazing works in the world as part of a larger body of Christ, the church. Let me pray for us and prepare for communion. Heavenly Father, thank you for the grace of Jesus that's been poured out to us by your Son, Thank you for giving us a title that is not something that points glory to us, but a title that points all glory to you. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the saving one. And we simply as a church are ones who look to you, who simply try to reflect you in the world, not shining on ourselves, but shining your light so that others may look at us and say, Not, wow, what an amazing person that is, but instead, what an amazing God he serves. So Lord, as we come to your table this morning to take communion, would you fill us with your hope and your gospel? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.